All right, we're live. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm sitting here with two of my favorite guys, Trent JB and Jeff. Um, Trent and I. And Jeff T. Jeff T. Jeff, it's just that's that's your name on Instagram, and you know I'm Gen Z, so I refer to people as their Instagram names. It's a problem. Anyway, uh, two of my favorite guys here. Went to high school with Trent. Uh, he's a beekeeper now. It's been a fun uh, ride. And then Jeff, I've known for a couple of years, introduced by Trent. And uh, Jeff is colonizing food on Mars. Um, guys, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, pleasure. Um, neither of you have been on yet. I've been on twice. Though. No, those videos are not uploaded. Well, I've been on twice. Yes, but... And I've been on one before. Yes. N- <laughs> I've had both of these gentlemen on multiple times, but those videos aren't live due to technical, technical difficulties. Um, so you guys say what's up? What's up? I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> the last pod, the last podcast we did, I say Trent, say what's up to the people. Trent gets the mic and goes, "What's, what's up, up to, to the, the people?" people? <laughs> I think that's two podcasts in a row. I've done that too. Um, yeah. It yeah. is recording. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, good to go. we're good this time. Noise, guys. Technology. Hold it real quick. All, all the, listen, it is crazy to me. It just blows my mind that I can sit here with this microphone plugged into my fucking iPhone. I bought an adapter for 50 bucks that allows me to plug a full on studio setup into my iPhone and I'm recording it on my iPad and I'm going to upload it to Spotify and shit for free. It's pretty epic. So there's really no excuse. People on the TikTok saying that my podcast inspires you and my little TikTok thing I'm doing. I really appreciate it, but you guys can do it too, and you don't even need a mic. You, we were just talking about this. Yeah. You can literally just talk into your phone and upload that shit for free to Spotify, Apple, YouTube. If you want to do it, you can do it. You know a thing or two about that, Jeff, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. So Jeff took a crazy idea and has turned it into reality. Tell people about it. You're a shipping container. Hey, what's up, guys? So I'm Jeff. Uh, yeah, and you talk about colonizing food on Mars, and it's like the act of growing food on Mars would be colonizing the planet technically or that was some at least the Martian gave us that definition I haven't actually confirmed it though that's yeah. a smart smart movie uh, based off a good book Andy Weir is the writer of that also I'd recommend any other stuff I just listened to all his new audiobooks oh, really? Andy Weir's a fantastic sci-fi writer but yeah so yeah after going up growing up loving sci-fi my whole life and then we're like wait a minute we're actually trying to go to Mars yeah I'm gonna try and be involved in that um, but also I was like, uh, I want to dedicate my life to something that helps people and food is a huge issue. So it seemed like all the technology we need to grow food on Mars would also help us solve a lot of food problems on earth. Um, mainly for like the term food deserts kind of going out, uh, of s- style right now. Food apartheid is actually a new term because these were like calculated designed elements of cities not like a natural occurrence that just kind of happened to be a lack of food in this area where all the low-income people live that wasn't just like you know naturally occurring that was designed engineered by systemic racism within the system so yeah i mean that's like that's part of the major issue of food in the United States is the people living in one of the most wealthy nations on the planet that can't get access to healthy stuff. And it's not like we don't grow enough. Right. We grow more than we need just most of it goes bad or gets thrown away. So I like wearing the shirt right now from when I was working for Rust Belt Riders and the composting work there. 
was just epic. And that's also how I met Trent uh, and his beekeeping. You say this? I just real quick, we'll go into a little bit about how we met and how that brought all three of us here together. But before that, tell the people a little bit about Rust Belt Riders for real, because that shirt, dope. Feed people, not landfills. Speak on that a little bit because you pontificate on yeah. You worked. You were in the trenches. Yeah, I was about a year and hauling dirty food scraps. Some of it was not stinky, like a sixty-four gallon picking up compost buckets and yeah from kitchens, just the the food that isn't used or like the peels of the banana when the banana is used that gets tossed instead of in a trash can. It gets tossed in the compost bin, and then Rust Belt Riders. Uh, is is a collection company that manages to um, just basically network a bunch of fantastic humans and vehicles and uh, other staff in order to manage all this stuff. So they have bins located for individuals that want to compost but live in an apartment. They can take their compost somewhere locally or a restaurant or even full grocery stores can sign up and have all of the extra food they don't sell or they can't sell go somewhere that's not a landfill and now most food when it's thrown away just goes where most everything else goes now a landfill even most recycling isn't being recycled because of how contaminated it is but that's a whole other thing but the composting side has been largely being attacked on the small scale across the country there's composters of every different scale rust belt riders got recognized as one of the top two in the nation i think a number of years ago and they've only expanded since then yeah, they built their own app to do uh, their their hauling system. And I was one of the first employees that got hired on there. And they were the most encouraging guys when it came to the dreams I had for my own urban farming business mm-hmm. that they, you know, gave me rent-free space to start testing some of my farming ideas and, and you know, didn't charge me any electricity costs, even though we were metering what we use. And they were like, don't worry about it for a while. Like, and then when you can pay, do pay. And then we did. And it was just like a really refreshing thing to have the people you were working for encourage you to go do something else because they knew that's what you wanted to do from the start. That goes a long way. I tried to do that with every one of my employees. Um, one of my employees actually gone off and started her own business now, and uh, she's still working for me, but she's also doing this tea thing on the side, and it's just that's been doing fantastically for her too. So that's what she loves to do. Yeah, and that just came from the Sydney idea that tea. yeah. Yeah, and so that's the uh, the idea. Yeah, Flow Pharmacy, I believe, and it's F A R M Pharmacy. And that's on Instagram. I believe so. Okay. And uh, yeah, awesome tea. They usually do holiday boxes, uh, and I, I try and get them before they sell out. I was I failed the one time, but yeah, they go quick. So um, yeah, and that was all just came from Rust Belt's initial encouragement of my urban farming. But those guys are all about just really making. Uh, systems of change Mm. so they built the system to make the composting happen they they turned that into a soil production company and they sell tilth soil and all that just comes back to just really thinking about the future in a way and then acting relentlessly to make that happen beautiful so talk a little bit to the folks about how lettuce tree farms uses only tilth soil from rust belt riders composting program that literally saves thousands of pounds from landfills and ultimately helps feeding people. Yeah, I think just to give you an estimate, when I was doing one of my routes back in the day, yeah. I'd have my one of the largest like pickup routes, heaviest pickup routes that I would do um, would be two full like fill ups and empties of a 16 uh, foot box truck. 
Um, so we're picking up 64-gallon trash, ba- trash bins, the same ones you take out to the side. Um, those can be 400 pounds when they're filled with wet food scraps. Yeah. Um, so I could be doing like anywhere between two and a half on a lighter day to like four and a half thousand pounds in a single day of food scraps and that's one person in one truck and a bunch of bins and we take them we dump them we manage the dumping and we manage the processing in a compost at least rust belt did at the time and i was helping with that that's why i say we even though i'm not there anymore um i still am so like it's such a personal thing from the time i spent there and the effort you give but it's also like the, the the knowledge that every bead of sweat, every ounce of effort you're putting in right now is going towards something you appreciate and you know is making the world like irrevocably better. Like, you know, there's no way to go against this act right now. There's yeah. nothing bad about it. So many things have a caveat. Yeah. I buy this, but what do I support? You know, yeah. I like this side of their, their argument, but I don't like this side of what they do when they're in office kind of thing. But with this act, with working for Rust Belt, it was just like, oh, I know every single thing I do right now is helping. You feel that way about Lettuce Tree, too. Yeah, I do. I do. But I, I don't see the immediate effect as I did when I'm, you know, actively moving food scraps and knowing, you know, this isn't going to become how many hundreds of cubic feet of methane. It's not going to become even carbon dioxide. This is going to become soil that actually sequesters carbon dioxide and, and converts methane and through its natural cycles feeds plants and can provide food again. Right. So then this concept of the urban farming thing had to utilize their soil. I already wanted to do that from school, uh, doing agricultural business in college, but it was just like, oh, I have the perfect soil now. Agricultural business while studying... <laughs> what was it? Air, oh, oh. oh yeah. I mean, the original, I was doing aerospace, aerospace to start. Engineering, yes. Yeah, I was doing aerospace engineering to start. I did that for three years. But, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't finish that degree. I got an engineering minor out of it and a major in agricultural business and applied economics. Um, and that was just like, after a while, I didn't want to be sitting in a cubicle. I also, uh, like, it was just the timeline to get out of school was going to be way too long. And I was realizing that it wasn't going to be addressing some of the core needs of the world. And that was something I wanted, like, in my soul, I felt I needed to do in my life. Like, if there's a problem, I need to fix it. And I often, my, my result of fixing things is building something. So the thing I've built, or I've been trying to build, is this, this lettuce tree uh, system of growing produce and food. Yeah, I've been building it, uh, prototyping it for years, still perfecting it. And then around that system, I've built a farming system and like um, template for farming ideals. And I'm trying to expand that into uh, farming equipment and actual real world tools you could purchase eventually. Um, but an entire system based off the concept of positive impact agriculture, meaning zero impact on the earth is not enough that's basically just like stopping the the fire but we didn't rebuild anything Mm -hmm. you know it's all still ashes on the ground if we do zero impact all the stuff we destroyed is still destroyed so positive impact agriculture is adamant and dedicated to instead of degrading soils that create a dust bowl and you know make the the roads six feet higher than the fields that are next to them because of all the soil that's eroded away I want to make those roads six feet lower. Mm. I want to have flooding issues on the roads because we build soil with our farming methods. Mm. 
Um, I, I want to I want to filter the water of pollutants rather than add a bunch of runoff that causes algae blooms. I want to filter the air of pollutants rather than using uh, fossil fuel combusting equipment. Find electrical versions and find you know sustainable ways to supply them. So sustainability is key. But the main goal is positive impact. Every single thing that would be negatively impacted by agriculture in the past, we will positively impact. We will improve everywhere we farm and provide food for people. Um, and then the vertical farming that I'm trying to do with the lettuce tree system would make that more efficient and sustainable yeah. than current farming, which you have to have both or we're not going to do it. Right. And that's just reality. It's amazing, all this shit. No, there's, there's, we could, we could, no, it's all good because uh, it's super fascinating. But what I wanted to say is that uh, I produced a couple of videos for Jeff yeah. last year. Yeah. If you guys want to head over to, it's just Lettuce Tree Farms, yeah, Lettuce right? Farms. Lettuce Tree Farms on YouTube and Instagram. But if you go uh, check out these, uh, uh, YouTube videos, they're really cool. And Jeff, uh, we have ones of you showing the shipping container farm yeah, and everything. Yeah, still very much under construction. Yeah, but really cool stuff. And uh, you guys are gonna gonna want to, you guys are going to want to get in early on Jeff's journey because this dude's doing big big stuff. Yeah, the earlier uh, you get in. And yeah, yeah. More exciting and changeable. Exactly. Um, it might be slow, but I'm relentless. Right. <laughs> I that I know about you. Um. And what else I think is cool, don't you think it's so cool that me and you have two of our best friends are on very – Joey's mission is to solve the world's water crisis. Yeah. And Jeff's so – I love how passionate Jeff is about this. It's so fucking cool. And then you got you trying to save the fucking bees. It's like, what? I, I don't even feel worthy to be sitting on this couch with you guys, having all these friends. You guys are crazy. Um, the amount of stuff. I just can't believe that I'm friends with so many pe fucking, not only talented people, but extremely passionate people about what they do. It's pretty crazy. Um, and by the way, everyone will interrupt real quick. If you haven't got a ripple bottle, Joe, who I was just talking about, Joe's been on the podcast. Joe is an amazing dude. He is 20 years old. He put every ounce, every cent that he had into ordering these really awesome bottles. Um, to build wells in Africa in developing nations. And he actually is heading. Did you know he's heading to Africa in a week and a half? He's building his first well. They That's so epic. every two thousand bottles sold builds a well. And he they they are all booked. They're heading over there in a week and a half to drill their actual first well in that Uganda. So he's twenty years old and he lost yeah, well, that's that was like what worked out the best yeah. for for this one. Um, yeah, he had plans to go somewhere else, but um, the charity he was working with didn't follow through. But this worked out better for him because now I he has his own infrastructure. Yeah, politics is a nightmare for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so go. You can go pick one up. Uh, the link will be in my description. If you use that link, uh, that will help us build a soul of Jarrett well which would be awesome. That so when I sell 2000, yeah, yeah, he was going to take me over there and I'm going to do that. that so, awesome. yeah, I'm really excited. Um so make sure you guys pick up a ripple bottle. There's all kinds of colors. Me and Trent just both happen to have the yellow right now. But uh make sure you check them out and follow them everywhere. We are the Ripple. It's literally the best water bottle I have ever used in my entire life. I mean, Dude, I, lo I love those ripple bottles. Not only are they sexy, but they're they work and the straw comes standard on hydro flask and yeti 
You have to, they, they send you a thing that you twist off and have to use. You have to go buy a $10 straw. Dude, Joey, that, it, that blows my I mind know. that you have to buy the the straw I know. as an accessory. And Joe. You agree <laughs> just corporates in <laughs> I know. It's horrible. And they're not giving I anything agree. back. Guys. I could not even express myself. I threw up. Joe went up. <laughs> uh, Joe went. Joe went off on the podcast talking about how how it costs fifty five cents for this straw, and they don't give it to you, and they make you pay ten dollars for it, and how these companies now are doing Hydro Flask and Yeti, you know, are combined are almost doing a billion dollars a year in sales, what and they're more not. Do they need? They're not building any fucking wells. They're not doing shit. I wonder what they do do with their profits. A billion dollars and they donate like 3%. Total, like 3% up. That's still $30 million though. $30 million, you know? Yeah. But so, it, but the, if Jeff yeah, had so, that money, what would Jeff be doing? That's the real question. Yeah, uh, it's so true. The question <laughs> is who could use that the best? Right. And is that the most they can do? Well, let me tell you something. Absolutely not. The I was looking this up because I uh, I make TikToks for Ripple, so I was looking up um, some stats today for one of the TikToks, and it would cost roughly a hundred and fifty billion dollars a year for five years to completely solve the world water crisis. There are people, especially lots of people combined. Imagine if ten of the wealthiest people just chipped in, or twenty of the wealthiest people chipped in. Why don't we do this? There's little kids who don't have clean water. You should see these videos that Joe shows me of the village that they're building. They have to, these kids have to walk miles and miles and miles just to get a drink of water, and it's not even that clean. Yeah. All right, so on a real note. Oh, it's been real. $150 billion yeah. per year for five years. Yes. So we're talking $75 billion. Seven hundred and fifty billion dollars. Yeah, Jeff Bezos has that. <laughs> One person has that, and that could give clean water to 750 everyone. Seven hundred and fifty billion. He's a trillionaire, right, Jeff? I don't think he's Not yet. Oh, no. I thought he was. Collectively, no. But on a real note, like, I think he's at three hundred billion. No, it's got to be higher. Google yeah, that's, it. Yeah, that's bonkers. Jeff Google it. I gotta look at the facts. I can't speculate. I'm uh, just trying to think, man. $150 billion in sales in Ripple Waddles. That'd be crazy. Oh, sh- yeah. Bull, that's crazy. Um, Hang on. Where are you going? Trent needs a sucker. So, Jeff, it's $200 billion yeah, Bezos net worth? It would have been 260, but his wife got 60 billion. Oh shit! She is a beast. <laughs> Damn! Damn! Wow! Look at Trent going in on these things. Of course. There is um, a, a reasonable, and I and when I say reasonable, it's in the billions uh, for just about every one of these problems. But there's like a, a reasonable, and the reason I consider it reasonable is because we have it. Right. Like, it's not like that money doesn't exist on the planet Earth. Like, there is a small group 
of humans that could cover it and be be significantly less well off, but still billionaires themselves. Right. Um, but yeah, there there's a budget for just about every problem you can think of. Homelessness. We can like there's a certain number of billion that solves that problem. Yeah. Unclean water for the entire for every single person that doesn't have it. There's a number of billions that solve that problem. 150 billion a year for five years is is a, is a good ballpark for just about any of these. It's not small numbers and it's not small periods of time, yeah. but it's not like we haven't invested that much money into coal, gas, oil, and uh, yeah, you know, like what was it? <clears throat> How much did it cost to make the ISS? How long has it been up there? How many satellites do we have? How long did the the Hubble Space Telescope get repeatedly repaired? And, and and how much time and money and, and anguish have people spent waiting for James Webb to go up? I mean, this is personal, but the James Webb Space Telescope has been, like, advertised as a shiny thing everybody in science is going to get for me, at least for me, since 2015. I know for the scientific community longer than that. And it's just, like, so infuriating to see it's still not up, and it was going to be, like, finished by 2007 at one point or something like that. Like, it's just, like... And we spent billions of dollars on these projects, and it's taken decades, and we find it worth it. Why isn't homelessness? Why isn't clean water? Why isn't healthy food for all humans worth it? I don't understand any cognitive distance or any people who want to stand in the way of that kind of endeavor. When we're willing to spend billions of dollars, and we know it can make billions of dollars, we can do the exact same thing with food, with homelessness, with unclean water, with unclean air. With all of these chemical issues that aren't being checked, with pharmacological issues, with the cost of healthcare, with the cost of housing, and all of this stuff, there is solutions, and they cost a lot, but not an unachievable amount. An amount that's well within the world's ability to do right now. And yeah, it will take decades, but we've done a bunch of stuff that takes decades and costs billions, and we've been good at it, and we're always proud about it. But why are we all like, oh, no, this is impossible when it will directly affect and improve the lives of billions of people in extremely real ways? I don't understand. I think it's that impact. And I think I've heard this so many times and I never understand it and it always annoys me. But we're always afraid of our own power. The ability for us to actually solve the world's problems might scare us too much to do it. And I don't know how much that stands in the way of people or how much it's really them believing it is truly impossible and any money we spend will be wasted. And I don't know who's been convincing them of that, but I know for a fact it's false. Because if we throw money and time at a problem, humans will fix it. Humans will solve it. Humans will get to that moon, no matter how many bananas it takes us to eat for these monkeys to get off this rock. Like, we did that damn thing. And about 60 years after we first learned how to fly, like, the Wright brothers... To Neil Armstrong is a very short gap. The Wright brothers were my passion as a kid, and I've always loved planes just because the physics that makes a piece of metal, you know, eat cow farts and fly through the air is really cool to me. But the fact that there was like 60 years between the first person who ever got a plane flying into the wind with a custom-built aluminum engine off the ground and 800 feet was the longest flight, oh my God, how did we accomplish this? They forgot to tie the plane down. Augusta wind broke it, and they had to go home to Dayton, Ohio. That was the first flight ever. That was how epic it was. It wasn't that epic. Was it Sixty years later, yeah, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They were just trying to be remote. They just didn't want anybody to know about it. The only person that found out was a random kid from the local town who was in half the photos of the first flight. 
You just see this random kid. They're like, oh, yeah, he just showed up. That's epic. Yeah, we had him hold the camera sometimes. He had to hold the <laughs> wing this one time. We let him run down the plane for, like, the, I think it was the third flight. But, yeah, and then, like, 60 years later, we will go to the moon and this in the decade and do the other thing. Like, that was the... That was a grandma. That was like one person grows up, has a kid, grows up, has a kid. Like that is not even a whole lifetime wow. to go from it's impossible for humans to make machines that fly to we are standing on the moon. If we get billions and we get decades, we can do it. Well, we have to go here now. You think we went to the moon? You think these billionaires don't keep us suppressed on purpose? Th there's two conspiracy questions for you. Go. I'm going to answer them both. Okay. This is fun. Wait. Yeah. Jeff, you know what Do you need another sucker? Hey. <laughs> hey He's been eating all my old Jeff. Halloween candy, and okay. I really appreciate it because it's not going to waste. I don't like food waste. That, that last time you had the mic just now yeah. talking, I was just sitting here in my mind looking at you thinking – Oh, these this TikTok is gonna go off. <laughs> <laughs> I I love I love here. All right, here's what I love about podcasting because I love turning it into little clips for TikTok. But I also here's what else I love about it. I post clips of other. You don't even have to post your own content. I can post. I'm gonna post clips of Jeff on TikTok that are gonna get me hundreds of thousands <laughs> of views and get my podcast listens. Hey, it's awesome. Send some likes towards yeah, 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 guys, make sure you go check out Lettuce Tree Farms, Instagram and YouTube, Lettuce Tree Farms, and your website. Yeah. Yes. Website needs help. <laughs> website needs updated. Website needs updated, but fuck that shit. Go, go to his social media. Jeff's cool, as you can see. All right. Did we go to the moon? All right. Did, did we go to the moon, and do we think these billionaires aren't oppressing us on purpose? Yeah. I mean, like, I put a couple negatives in there, but I know what you mean. Um, the concept of not going to the moon would be a form of billionaire oppression back in the day. Bangers. With the Z. Um, I say that with the <laughs> utmost importance on billionaires back in the day. Because there, I don't know if there was any before 1960s, 70s. I don't know when the first billionaire happened. I really don't. It might have been before that. It might have been before that. I know the biggest transaction. Was it Trump? First billionaire? I doubt that. Um, <laughs> I highly doubt that. Uh, small loan of a million dollars. Yeah. Basically, I don't know when the first billionaire was. I know one of the largest transactions in history was when J.P. Morgan directly bailed out the government of the United States. And that was like $250 million in like the late 18 early 1900 something like that like like jp morgan like the original jp morgan chase was like around at the same he was funding nikola tesla he's why tesla went insane it's because jp morgan told him oh i can't make money on your free electricity that's why it's free electricity yeah i don't want it shut it down and tesla's like but but i just solved the world's pro wait and then no one was allowed to talk about it and yeah have fun looking that up later. It's a lot of fun. But um, that that's a huge transaction. Billions of dollars would be necessary to fake the moon landing. It was John Rockefeller, 1916. 1916. Wow, that was a little bit earlier than I thought. Yeah, that's a good 50, 60 years before I thought it was. Jeff was wrong! But Rockefeller makes so much sense, okay? Standard Oil. That was Standard Oil, right? 
Yeah. Think, yes, yes. It had to be standard oil. Standard oil. He did some amazing things with it. He basically took a massive... It's like it's like if you had a um, the, the least ineffective uh, network, everybody needed phone chargers, right? And maybe this is what's actually happening right now, but like no one can get good phone chargers. You only find like cheap crap that random people are making. And then Johnny Rockefeller shows up and just makes all phone chargers flawlessly and starts buying up all these crappy producers of phone chargers and starts making them produce flawless phone chargers and everybody's really happy about it that was kind of standard oil now he wasn't the greatest human i'm sure 1916 really wealthy white guy probably had some skewed ideas about the world i don't know enough to really talk about it but i'm not going to go ahead and put all my faith in jd rockefeller right now but i will tell you he was making things work more efficiently and that it was kind of an issue when they broke up the trust because it actually gave people who were working inefficiently and we're working greedily, more power, and he was all about making things work effectively. This may also be just me buying into propaganda of the J.D. Ro- Rockefeller documentary I watched back in the day. I know we're going to get there. I'm sorry. What do you no, want to say? Good. I want to say that I do believe that we went to the moon. One day I will go to space. Jeff, you will go to space. <laughs> Maybe we I'll did. I think I, space. I, I, I think. What? <sighs> Who the fuck has done a podcast in space? NASA airs everything all the time. Okay. I'm going to be the first one to smoke pot on a podcast in space. You a bitch. You may get there, though. Musk might beat you. <laughs> Musk doesn't even know how to inhale. Hey. If you guys haven't seen the Joe Rogan clip. It's it's epic that he got him on to Fine. smoke. It's epic that he got him to smoke. I love it. But he didn't inhale. But that's fine. That's that's what... Well, I know that's fine. I'm just giving me. This is my counter argument to you. I'm just saying. You'll be the first person to actually enjoy it. Yes, to to actually psychoactively change my state in space. I'll give you that. Can I get back to these questions though? Yeah, this is about history for a second there. Well, these are golden TikToks. Keep going, my friend. I was just trying to give context to to this whole thing. All right, so yeah, it would have taken billions of dollars back back in the '60s. Because of the inability to, to, to manipulate things with computers the way we can today. They would have had to basically create an analog version of faking things. Make big lights to replicate the sun. Make a dusty surface to replicate the moon. Make a dark backdrop to replicate the stars. You could have done this for $2 million. No. Yeah. No. Right. The shadows in the photos, the lighting that creates that is a physical phenomenon that cannot happen inside an atmosphere and cannot happen with multiple or professionally made light sources. The only way to produce that kind of lighting effect in the 1960s would have been to have an LED lighting wall that is more powerful than most of the ones used in Hollywood films today and was like 10 times the size of what most people think is necessary, like for today's purposes. It just, it's just a weird thing of physics that can just be seen in the photos how crappy the photos how blurry grain doesn't matter the shadows are in a direction and that direction can be mapped i've seen a lot of different like information about this and this is one thing that goes back and forth a lot but it's one of the parts of physics that just makes sense to me after all the physics i've learned is when you're on the surface of a moon when you have a limited to no atmosphere and when the sun is the literally the only light source light and shadows are going to be different than they ever could be 
on any kind of stage. It's just not possible for a camera and lighting stage to make that effect. Now, you can do it digitally today, absolutely. We didn't have that kind of digital power back then. In addition, I've seen the rockets up close. I've visited both NASA Glen and uh, the Dayton uh, place, and I, I've walked around <clears throat> those physical rockets. I've done the math myself. Like I said, I did aerospace engineering for three years. I did the rocket equation. I can calculate the trajectory of various orbits, or at least I could have. I'm going to have to refresh it before I can do it for you now. But like I've done those math problems in the past. I know it takes a couple pages, and I know exactly what that looks like. And most of it, you don't even need relativity. You can just use Newton's equations. Like It's very simple when it comes to like math terms. You don't have to get... like. In, into weird theoretical numbers. You don't have to worry about the fact that time moves faster for a satellite and that's how your phone can tell where it is on GPS. When you get to GPS, yeah, you worry about that, but for calculating which satellite orbit you pick, no. Like, you can, and I have done that math on a single piece of paper and without a calculator after a while. Like, long division's kind of slow, but you can do it. This isn't impossible, and it's not even that hard. It just seems so far out of bounds for our current digital world because of how much we get help with all of those things. That how could they have possibly done it without help? They had to fake it. It was impossible. No, it was absolutely possible, and it was definitely possible when you look at how shitty the living conditions for the astronauts were. They got nothing. They were shoved into tin cans and launched into space. And not even thick tin. Like, really thin cans. Like... The amount of radiation shielding was so minimal. The amount of extra stuff they got was none. Like, they had redundancies for all of the essential stuff, and they didn't have redundancies for other things that ended up becoming a problem, and they made redundancies later because they didn't think it was essential at first, and the first eight people that went to the moon didn't have this. But now it's standard, and you're considered neglectory and probably can be prosecuted if you're a NASA official that doesn't put some of these things in. And that was, that was the 1960s. They had computers the size of rooms. They had people literally calculating most of the things in math, like, classrooms on desks with pieces right. of paper and pencils right. and, and limited calculators. And, and like, all the, the movies and stuff they've shown where people uh, are doing things, and I can't remember the name of that uh, black mathematician that just kicked so much ass, and everybody who had ever did anything in space, no. Uh, mathematician, she was literally the calculator for NASA at the time. But basically, this woman did most of the NASA equations, and any time that you were like going to need to know something was right, you had her double-check it. And this was a human being writing stuff on a piece of paper. And I've, I was tutored by the guys who can do that. Like, you know, that was my math tutors when I was in calculus in, in college trying to, you know, complete some of these aero engineering courses. And I was baffled at his ability to do it in his head. And some people were baffled at my ability to do it without a calculator but on a piece of paper. So that just extends to today. People think it's fake because it seems like it'd be impossible to do with their technology. But I'm telling you right now, it was possible to do with their technology because of they were not in any way comfortable on that flight to the moon and back. That was an agonizing trip for those astronauts, and it was a terrifying trip because of how little was between them and absolute death, like just sheer instantaneous death from any kind of exposure to space. And, and that, that's a little exaggeration. You can have punctures in the spaceship and plug them up. 
There's actually little holes in the ISS all the time, and they do plug them up without incidents. They can be there for a week, and they're like, yeah, we hear a little whistle. We'll find it later. Like, we have other important science to do right now, and that's not actually going to, like, blow a hole on the side of the ship. So one little puncture, if you see that in a movie, and all of a sudden everybody dies, not going to happen. But the amount of space between any astronaut today, but back then, it was just, it was ridiculous. It was so, so unsafe, so risky, and they did it anyway just to beat somebody else to it. That that's what makes it that's what makes it real for me. It's because it was a competitive thing, and it was in no way scientific based. Like we brought back some rocks; those are still the only rocks we have from the moon. But it was all about competition, so that's why I believe it's it. You're convincing, Jeff. You're convincing. Um, and you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, Trent. Like, how do we know somebody this smart? I don't know anybody as smart as Jeff. He walked up and said hi. I don't know how. I don't know anybody that's so. That's how I know you. Jeff's <laughs> Jeff's so smart about such a wide array of things. You guys, Jeff is crazy. He stays up until 5 a.m. learning things, fact-checking things that he learns, and fucking drawing and designing oh. Oh. Sh ships and boats. I learned a good one today. Can I tell you guys? Let's hear it. A, a good random new thing I learned about physics, and that's super useful for humanity. One of my favorite inventions of all time is air conditioning. <laughs> I think everybody can agree it's a beautiful fucking thing. Okay. And I don't think I could live anywhere that got over 90 degrees without it. Like, okay. 85, I might be able to, to get by. I'm, I'm going to complain right. plenty. I'm going to be a sweaty mess, and I'm going to complain, but I can deal. 90 is getting there. I need some AC. Right. So, yeah, this thing I, I learned today, um, there is... Where was this place? I can't remember. There's, there's so many like really fascinating schools of learning popping up in places in the world I did not ever ex like, like hear about before. So then all of a sudden, like some place in Dubai is learning this new thing, and it's this research institute. I'm like, well, I know there's a bunch of money over there, but I hadn't heard about the research institute yet. So I'm not sure if it was Dubai, but they basically somebody somewhere at some awesome research institute found out that if you use a specific kind of salt, and I don't mean sodium chloride you can eat. I mean like like harsh chemical salts, but like the the term salts as it refers to in chemistry. I think it's ammonium chloride maybe because it's a fertilizer, but you put that in water and as the water absorbs heat, it sinks that heat into the salt crystal to dissolve it into the water. So it has to be a water-soluble salt and they found a few that work, one that works particularly well, but essentially you can just put salt in water and if it's the right salt and the right amount, that water can be sitting in a 95 to 100 whatever temperature degree room. And that cup of water you sprinkled that salt into will get down to 35 degrees Fahrenheit. How do you use that in an air conditioning, the air conditioning at home? So you would have to build a system that then recycles things because what they ended up doing then was testing how long it lasted it actually stayed below 55 degrees for 15 hours in this chamber and it was an insulated chamber but if you just sprinkled salt and water and you got a cooler mm -hmm. like you could refrigerate trucks with no electricity they used sunlight to then evaporate the water leaving the salt crystals behind to be reused. Just add water again. Wow. 
So you have some kind of pump system, some kind of tank system, some kind of rotational system that allows sunlight to channel in. But yeah, you can literally sprinkle some salt in water, the right kind of salt, not one you can eat. And that will cool down the water, cool down the air around it and be able to be circulated. And they were, and it's completely electricity free. It's like a chemical reaction that causes cold. And I just I just read about that today, and I and I was already and I want to reach out to this YouTube guy because one of these smartest guys on YouTube I've ever seen was making an entire air conditioning system using nothing but water and salt water, and like that, his salt water was his desiccant and water was his refrigerant, I believe, or so yeah. So because salt water actually is what they call a desiccant, you know those little packs you get that say do not eat. And it's some weird little bunch of balls and a little piece of yep. like white fabric, whatever, that's in like purses and shoes and all this random yep. stuff. That's a desiccant. Mm. That is a specific um, beads of a specific kind. It looks like plastic. It's a plastic that absorbs moisture <clears throat> and like right out of the air because wow. it's so dry, it just sucks all the moisture out of the air. So it helps preserve different things, leather, mm. different packaging. Fruits. And and yeah, and sometimes you, there's des desiccants specifically for foods or the ones that say do not eat mm. should not be used in that case. Mm. Um, but those desiccants just suck the moisture out of the air. If you have a thing of salt water and a thing of water and you have them connected by a tube and not connected to anything else and that's all airtight, the salt water will suck the water out of the water basin. And you will see the salt water thing go up and the water thing go down because the salt water is absorbing the moisture out of the air and pulling the water from the other place. So he used that effect in order to dehumidify and cool the air in a similar way that a natural AC does with like um, a Freon refrigerant. So he did it with only water, random PVC pipes, and like crushed cans as like a, a way to get a lot of surface area. But now I wanna call him and be like, hey, let's get the salt involved as well. And now we use like table salt as the desiccant and we use this, uh, fertilizer salt as another full cooling effect so now the water refrigerant has that amped up cooling effect and you can make a super cheap super efficient ac i think and i want to try and use it in the farm that's the thing i learned today learn something new every day and that was just this morning's poop this morning's poop hashtag what's up man you tired yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Trent just picked me up from the airport a couple hours ago. Trent picks me up and drops me off to the airport twice a month. He's the man. I love this man. Oh, I love you too. Every time I get a, I get a random call. Hey, can we come over? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, hey, come on. You're in Cleveland? Yeah, I know. We don't need it. We got the iPad. You're Fuck crazy. that camera. Oh no, I'm guys. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, it's all right. I don't. That's. I only use that thing for emergencies. Cause do you know how? I would never get any content posted if I had to send it from my camera over. I do it right on the iPad. I I airdrop. I I'm gonna save this file, airdrop it directly to my iPad, and have this video up tonight. Like so, it's it's the most efficient. Right. I like at this point. Like when I. Well, hey, Jeff, we're going to wrap it up. I'm cool with that. Um, uh, oh, me and Trent are going to get to bed. Oh, yeah. You guys yeah. Soon, 
Yeah. You want to you wanna, um, give a little exit? Just tell people uh, where they can find you. We've already kind of talked Lettuce Tree Farms. Oh, yeah, but. yeah. All right. So, yeah, Lettuce Tree Farms. Um, that is on Instagram and uh, YouTube. We have, uh, you know, the five videos, I think, that Jarrett made for us there. Uh-huh. Uh, I got a bunch of other stuff shot uh-huh. of the further construction. Uh-huh. Um, I, I kept shooting and shooting and shooting until there was, like, one particular day that just broke me. Uh-huh. And I haven't done a lot of shooting at any construction thing since then. Yeah. Uh, it was just a lot to, to both be the only one building stuff, you know, yeah. during the pandemic when it hit winter last year and trying to film it all. Yeah. Um, so... I will get back to it eventually, and I have a lot of footage. I will get out there. I think I may wait until we're more completed on the exterior uh-huh. just so that it can be like a, com- a time lapse. Yeah. I can put that out there and then put out the details. Yeah. But I, I'll be putting out more content for sure. And people can get your crops, your food, right, if oh, they're absolutely. in the area? Yeah, or- if you're in the Cleveland area, um, any restaurants. Uh, actually, we're doing local pickup as well. We have a couple of customers that are showing up uh, Mondays in order to pick up stuff. So I think it would probably be better another day in the week. Uh-huh. But yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, the contact information on leatherstreetfarms.com, uh, through Instagram, uh, through YouTube. I'll check the comments. Not as regularly as i like, but I do get there. Um, but yeah, please cool. reach out. And if you want some good homegrown, or not homegrown, but locally grown microgreens for restaurant or home, right. call me. Lettuce Tree Farms will make it happen. I got a great staff that's Honestly, better at this than me at this point. Wow. So I'm really happy to be handing off some of the work to them now. And I just had a great vacation. And they're all like, yeah, we don't need you around. I'm like, well, geez, fine. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go build some more stuff and yeah. make some more farms happen. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's expanding nicely. Um, and our customer base is still growing. But we've survived COVID. And I'm pretty stoked uh, about, you know, new crops, new customers, and what the future holds. Awesome. Well, I'm happy we finally have had you on the podcast. <laughs> so happy. Um, Trent, tell the people where they can find you. You can find me at teasbees.net. No, but on uh, Instagram, it's uh, just TS underscore bees underscore underscore. I'm going to want that sound bite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, www.haveahive.org. Haveahive.org. You can sponsor a beehive that gets placed on an urban farm. That's how Jeff and I work together. It's a good time, man. Yeah. So we like we put together and organize community farms. He and does the bees. I yeah. do the bees. He does the farming, and we essentially put it in work yeah. to help feed communities and develop them, Sweet. educate, pollinate. And people can get your uh, your honey, right? Yeah. So if you want to sponsor a beehive, yes, or a hive park, do it at havehive.org. Right. But if you want some like off the wall honey, yeah. like I'm mushroom saying, honey, my audience would like this. Guys, mushroom honey, reishi mushroom and chaga. Yeah, reishi and chaga. Get it out of town. Yeah. Get it's. I'm doing a lion's mane. I'm doing a lion's mane. In case you're wondering, I will, it I will be all over taste, the lion's it mane. Tastes like honey and it's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. I'll be all over the lion's mane. Dude, the lion's mane. I'm super excited. On vacation, for it. there was a place in Denver. They had reishi mushroom mixes and they had honey, local honey mixes right next to them, and there was no mushroom honey. And I was like, guys, fill yeah. the gap. Oh, so, man. You got to go out there and talk. People to can order that. They can go to your Instagram or they can just type in um, www.tsbees.net. So uh, that's T S B E E S dot net. Guys, all Jeff and Trent's stuff will be in the description on YouTube here and also like on Spotify, wherever you're on, these links will be in the description. It's the best honey you're ever going to have. I second that.
Some of it was grown on one of my farms. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> that is epic. The first batch of mushroom honey I ever did, though, the honey, uh-huh. came from our first hive park. Wow. wow. I got I got that jar still. <laughs> I, it's honestly hard to eat from it because I'm like I never want it to go away. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> dude, it's precious. Fuck yeah, it's beautiful. You guys are awesome. Happy we did this. Is there anything else you guys need to say or no? Good. Cool. All right. Peace and love. Awesome. <laughs> we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. Peace. Love and lettuce. <laughs>